Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 288, St. Patrick and the Legends of the Irish. Happy St. Paddy's Day yep. from a distance. <laughs> <laughs> right. We are making sure that uh, we're not in the same room here. Um, if everybody could be at least six feet from their speakers right now. Right. Right. We sound better. You have to, you have to safe you, distance. just a couple inches, just move your headphones away from your ears. You'll be fine. Um, anyway, we are still podcasting in the time of the plague here. Yes. Hope everybody's doing well, mm-hmm. staying safe and not losing their sanity yet. Right. From being sequestered. And I am celebrating St. Patrick's Day a little early today, the 16th, by sucking down some Jameson right here and keeping my intestines or my internal body clean or whatever (laughs) by giving it an alcohol wipe. Yeah. I I was going to join you with a Guinness, but I'm saving my Guinness for tomorrow. Oh, yes. Actual St. Patty, because we're recording this on Monday, the 16th. But uh, I am joining you with a little glass of wine here. All right. Yeah. I wouldn't let you drink alone. That's all right. And I am Irish. So I feel like I can start drinking at any point. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot to tell you that. Um, I did the, the DNA testing recently. Oh, you did? Okay. Wendy, and, let's yes. give it up. So we find out that Wendy's actually uh, <laughs> Colombian or something. I'm a Stiso no. Indian. But, it, you know, like most people, there is a small percentage that it says probably Irish. So, All but, right. you know, the big mixing pot over there with everybody invading sure. everybody else and whatnot. Like, who knows? And my DNA test confirmed that I have no part Irish at all. So I'm the absolute fraud uh, sitting in on this episode. Well, it was funny because we never really talked about that like, part of the family or whatever. But my grandmother, her grandparents had come over during the potato famine. Hmm. So like she is almost all Irish and English. Well, that explains your red beard. Right. Exactly. Yes. So she, I mean, <laughs> so I'm, I'm about 25% Irish and English. But it's a funny thing because she... Like went off, so her family was Catholic or whatever. But then she ran off with a guy that was Christian Scientist, and she became a Christian Scientist and kind of, uh, you know, tossed aside all the stuff that she'd grown up with, even the, like even the English and Irish traditions in her family. Wow! So when she eventually married my grandfather, who wasn't uh, a Christian Scientist or whatever, she remained being loyal to the Christian Science thing, and my father, his traditions grew up with mostly German traditions of his father and his grandmother or his mother just didn't say like, you know, she just didn't go through with that stuff. So mm. I never really even thought of us as Irish or anything like that. So no, sure, like yeah. 25%, you're like, oh, where did that come from? Or whatever. Right. Like, it's like, I know I like drinking. I didn't, you know, <laughs> I thought like I'm kind of a cliche. It explains why you like potatoes and whiskey so much. That's right. Like, oh, but um, speaking of our imposter guest voice over here we have yet to introduce our guest speaking oh. of potatoes and whiskey yeah. <laughs> right the yes. non the completely non-irish uh scott marcus welcome thank you happy to have you back yes yeah from, it's been since the solstice i think that's wow. the last episode i was on <laughs> really oh my god from what's your ghost scott's joining us and he's done some research on Irish uh, legends and and just weird stuff, right? Right. Yeah, and I think we we got to give a shout out of thanks to uh, one of our one of your Patreons, Chuck, yeah. who uh, the he suggested doing the uh, the letter a day challenge last year. Oh yeah, the, the April alphabet challenge. challenge. Yeah. And uh, when I got the letter I, I thought, well, I should look up some Irish legends. So that's why I know anything to be talking about here is because right. Chuck inspired that. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Chuck. And also, I've been a little obsessed with Irish music over the past few years, so I'm always eager to learn more about especially weird Irish stuff. And there's so much of it, so we should probably get right we down should to, get it to it here, it. huh? And the first of all, I mean, when they talk about the Emerald Isle, they talk about <laughs> Ireland. Um, when you go there, I'll be honest, it did feel like a magical place. Oh, that's cool. It, it did. Like, I did not expect Ireland to be... I thought that Ireland was going to be like a Lucky Charms tourist trap. Ah. (laughs) I really did. And instead, it's um, the cities aren't that big. I mean, Dublin's a big city or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, but the cities aren't huge kind of cities uh, that you would expect. 
Um, there's totally places where, I mean, it's just dudes and sheep kind of thing. <laughs> and so yeah. it, it, it really is kind of like an Irish spring commercial. And I did <laughs> not expect Ireland to be like that whatsoever. It was amazing. Oh. And, um, oh. uh, and of course I had a paranormal experience at the Blarney castle, which we've talked about before. Yes. Very cool. And I think. Well, we will in the show notes. We'll link to our other Irish episodes because mm-hmm. we do have a number of them that we've accumulated over the years. Yeah. But Mike, what was the effect on you of that experience you had? Well, I really just felt like um, it was a place where anything could happen. Mm, that's for, cool. For some reason, that's I felt so exciting. Like just, it, I felt like it was a place where anything can happen, where magic could happen. I know that sounds cheesy or whatever, but I just, hey. I, I really felt connected to it and I enjoyed it. We're from Wisconsin. We welcome cheesiness. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose we do. I suppose we do. But the thing is, um, a couple of things that I didn't realize. Number one is that Ireland, like St. Patrick, is not the only patron saint of Ireland. Okay. Um, there's there's Saint Bridget, who I don't know too much about. Um, but, <laughs> so she ain't my problem. We'll save her for a different episode, I right. guess. Right? And then there's St. Columba, who I do know something about. And um, St. Columba is one of the patron saints of Ireland. But the only reason that I know who he is is because the first story of the Loch Ness Monster is in a history of St. Columba. Oh, wow. So That's amazing. He's going That's back an old and story. He's going back and forth between Ireland and Scotland and you know he goes through to Scotland and he finds a group of Picts, P I C T S, Picts, which were a uh, you know a tribe, a Celtic tribe. And he finds a, a group of Picts who are who are burying somebody who'd been killed by a monster. Mm. And um. He's going, you know, he's like, I'm going to go find, you know, I'll, I'll go find that monster for you because he's a saint and that's what saints do. And so he goes to the, the river Ness, which is a river flowing out of the lock, out of Loch Ness. Okay. And he goes to the river, sees a man swimming and the monster's coming after him. Whoa. And, and huh. so this is what, this is the era when the uh, Christian missionaries are convincing the pagans why it's sweet to be a Christian. I mean, that's what St. Patrick did, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But Columbus, like, don't worry, I'll save him. He sees the monster, gives the sign of the cross, and says, Thou shalt go no further, nor touch the man, go back with all speed. The beast Wait, Sean Connery was there? Yeah. <laughs> Scottish, 8th century, the best I could do here. It's either going to be Sean Connery it was or convincing. it's going to be Scotty from Star Trek. And Scotty from Star Trek was not going to work with that phrase. Fair. Fair point. The beast flees and he saves the swimmer from the Loch Ness Monster. Wow, cool. And then all of a sudden, the, the pagans are like, holy crap, all right, man, we're with you on Jesus. And they and they convert. So that's wow. like a conversion story. Is the first story of the Loch Ness monster. And interesting that the Loch Ness monster is such an evil thing in that story. Yeah. Oh yeah. I like it like ripped a guy in half. Like the yeah, if, when you read the original oh story. Gosh. And Nick Redfern's book Nessie probably has the best version of the Saint Columbus story that I've heard. Like Nessie like ripped the guy apart or whatever. So it's like a horrific thing that Saint Columbus shows up yeah. at. And then saves this other person with the sign of the cross. And then all the pagans are like, oh, man, if Jesus can do this kind of thing, then we're down. We're on his team. Right. We're on Team JC. Okay. All right. Wow. Well, that's pretty cool. So why is St. Patrick famous, everybody? Why are we celebrating today, Mike? Right. I mean, well, today we're celebrating today this. because it's a day that ends in why. Um, but also because St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland, uh, he converted the pagan tribes, the Druidic pagan tribes of the Celts to Christianity in the fifth century. And so um, the reason that they uh, have the shamrock as the symbol of St. Patrick is because the shamrock, the three different leaves of the clover, that's how he explained to them the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, was that they are three, but they are also one. The tripartite kind of thing, you know. The um, so he explains that to them. The other big legend about Saint Patrick is that he banished the snakes from Ireland. Mm-hmm. That he was so holy that he could do that. But obviously, um, there are no snakes in Ireland. 
He did a very good job. Indiana Jones was thankful. (laughs) Right. So it went pretty well for him that way. But that was all symbolism for banishing the, like, the paganism. Right. right? The serpent, um, obviously the Old Testament, you go back in there, and the serpent is the guy that tempts Eve to eat the apple. And the, uh, you know, when when you, the idea that Satan is represented as this serpent, Mm -hmm. um, like that St. Patrick banishing the devil from Ireland. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, there's a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know about St. Patrick's. And we look All it right. up, like, let's go in. and Give what, us the dirt, Mike. I didn't just want Irish legends. I'm like, okay, like, there's always cool stuff about saints, miracles and things they did. So let's start with it. So St. Patrick, I didn't realize, he wrote a confession, which, a confe- like, in the uh, fourth and fifth century, that's what an autobiography was called. It was <laughs> nice. called your confession. Oh, wow. The memoir. So the, the it's first a tell-all. The first tell-all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the first autobiography really ever written is by Saint Augustine of Hippo, and it's called Augustine's Confessions, and it's like the first memoir in literature, and um, they kind of took that. So Saint Patrick wrote his own confessions. He's born around the year 450, and he's born into a Christian family uh, in Roman Britain. So he's somewhere in Roman Britain. So you don't know if he's actually Celtic or he's British or he could be any of the different um, nationalities that were represented by the Roman Empire at the time. So he's born there. He lives for 16 years. He's living with his family. His grandfather is a Catholic priest because this is at a time when priests could get married and have families. That didn't happen until like late 800s or whatever when the Catholic Church was like, nope, you guys got to keep it in your pants. And um, so, so St. Patrick's 16, and he gets captured by slavers. Mm, so rough. I didn't realize they were like Irish pirates, slavers, who if they just caught you walking around, it's, it's actual human trafficking. So St. Patrick is like the first victim of human trafficking. He gets Aww. trafficked, he gets picked up, and then he has to be like a shepherd in Wales for uh, six years. And so he's stuck being a shepherd. And, um, like, he's just somebody's slave, and his job is to take care of sheep. And then one day, he hears a voice. And the voice says, your ship is ready. And he's like, okay. So then... He felt the calling, huh? Yeah, he felt the, he felt, he felt the call. That tonight was his night to escape. And he runs. I mean, he ran, like, 100 miles or something like that. So it took several days for him to escape. But he runs out... And then uh, he finds a ship, and the ship won't take him away. And they're like, nope. In fact, here's how he writes it. When he finds that he, you know, he gets a voice that says, there's a ship ready for you. And then he goes to this place, and the ship's totally not ready for him. And here's how he writes it. The day I arrived, the ship was about to leave the place. I said I needed to set sail with them, but the captain was not at all pleased. He replied unpleasantly and angrily, don't you dare to try come with us. When I heard that I left them and went back to the hut where I had lodgings, I began to pray while I was going, and before I even finished the prayer, I heard one of them shout aloud at me, Come quickly, the men are calling you. I turned back right away, and they began to say to me, Come, we'll trust you. Prove you're our friend any way you wish. But he refused to suck their breasts. Well, Yeah, okay. So this was a thing um, to show loyalty to pirates. Okay. Is that he refuses, uh, like, if you wanted to show loyalty to pirates or on a ship, um, you had to suck the captain's what? breasts. No. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. This, this is on. a thing. No, the, or is this some kind of weird Arr. fraternity? Suck oh, my boobs. Like, <laughs> I guess it is a weird fraternity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maternal of those captains. And, but he refused to it because he said he was a Christian or whatever. And he said, you know, I hope you might come to faith in Jesus one of these days. And because, like, it was his staunch, like, refusal, to, even when they said, we won't take you along, that we will, uh, you know, unless you suck the captain's boobs or whatever. Yeah. Um, these are dudes now, and <laughs> which is probably gross pirate hairy boobs. Um, <laughs> so, so we're not take, talking like Gina Davis and Cutthroat Island or anything right. like that. No, 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 it's, no, okay. no. Nice. It's, they're okay. just, nice. it's, like a, it's like sucking an ape's boobs. <laughs> and and St. Hey, Patrick with such authority. Right. St. <laughs> like Patrick refused. And they were like, okay, now you can come along because you were so steadfast in you your resisted. belief and your faith. 
Wow. So that was something I learned about St. Patrick that's new. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, okay, he was a slave. And you're like, oh, that's pretty intense. And you're like, okay. And he was almost forced to suck a dude's boobs to travel on a ship. All right. All right. Intense. Great. But he wouldn't bend the knee. <laughs> right. <laughs> he wouldn't bend something. <laughs> and okay. And so also that night he has a vision of like the devil putting him to the test. And he, you know, he writes, the same night while I was sleeping, Satan strongly put me to the test. I will remember it as long as I live. It was as if an enormous rock fell on me, and I lost all power in my limbs. Although I knew little about the life of the spirit at the time, how was it that I knew to call upon Helius? Helius, who is a, like a, a Christian martyr from the third century or whatever. Um, and so he, you know, he calls out Helius, Helius with all his strength. And he says, the splendor of the sun fell on me, and immediately all that weight lifted, and I believed I was helped by Christ the Lord, and that his spirit cried out for me. I trust it'll be like this whenever I'm under stress, and the gospel says, in that day the Lord testifies, it will not be you who will speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Mm. So that night, after he gets on the boat, and he's going to go home to his family, the devil tempts him, or the devil tries to threaten him with some kind of crazy dream, and then he calls out a martyr's name he doesn't know and is saved. So there's a couple like, all right, cool things about Patrick right there. <laughs> yeah, it's very divine. Right. But there's also like, okay, he's got visions, uh, you know, he's a slave, he refuses to suck a dude's boobs, and then uh, how he converts the Irish is interesting too. Because he doesn't tell them that their gods aren't real. In fact, he's like, yeah, you gods are sweet or whatever. But he's like, you know who's sweeter? Jesus. <laughs> and his whole thing is that the Christian God is more powerful than their God. And that's oh, how he converts them. Interesting. Because It he, is interesting to take that approach. Because you're already talking to a group of people that believe that there's more than one God. Right. So like, well, here's another one that you just haven't heard about yet. I mean, granted, there's a superiority complex there, but uh, right. but but as opposed to like saying all of your stuff is wrong, that just would close the door on any. I'm making that sale, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah good point. He's like, oh, you got a god? That's cool. Check out mine. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes in. Um, actually, in one of the biographies of him, they talk about how he goes uh, to this place called Terra uh, on Easter Day, and on Easter Day is a feast day for the pagans because, I mean, the Christians kind of appropriated the time of Easter, the spring celebration, because it, you know, it kind of made it easier for the pagans to want to have a party or whatever if they were already having a party. They're just like, okay, well, let's just make it about Jesus instead of whatever's going on. Let's piggyback on that. Yeah. And that, I mean, they did that with Christmas, everything. I mean, yeah. the, the Christian missionaries, they were no slouches when it came right. to cultural Marketing. appropriation and it worked. <laughs> Marketing. Okay. Yeah. So he's dueling with these druids and, you know, you know, Patrick's saying, you know, he, Patrick shows up with like five dudes, like five apostles with him or whatever. And they would show up at these places and just be like, hey, we want to tell you about Jesus. It's kind of like, imagine if the, um, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses showed up at your house. And you let them in for dinner, but then they actually performed a miracle instead of just giving you a copy of the Watchtower. Very, very persuasive. <laughs> yes. So let's go to um, this particular biography of him written in like the ninth century. Now, while they're all eating, the druid Louisette Male, who had taken part in the conflict on the previous night, was anxious even on that day, now that his colleague had perished, to fight against Holy Patrick. And as a start, he puts a drop of poison from his cup into the goblet of Patrick, while others looked on in order to find out what Patrick would do. Holy Patrick sees the kind of test to which he was being subjected. He blesses the goblet in the sight of all, and the liquor froze like ice. Then he turned his goblet upside down, and the only drop which the druid had added fell out. And he blessed the goblet again. The liquor resumed its natural state, and they were all greatly astonished. And after a short while, the druid said, Let us work miracles in this vast plain. And Patrick replied, What sort of miracles? And the druid said, Let us bring snow over the land. And Patrick said, I do not want to bring anything about against God's will. And the druid said, I shall bring it about in the sight of all. Then uttering some spells, he brought snow, reaching up as far as a man's belt over the entire plain, and all saw this and were astonished. And Patrick said, All right, we see this. Remove it now. And the oh. druid said, Until this hour tomorrow I cannot remove it. 
And the holy man said, You can do evil and cannot do good. Not so I. Then he blesses the plain all around, and in no time, without rain or mist or wind, the snow vanishes, and the crowds cheered, and were greatly astonished, and touched in their hearts. And a little later the druid, through the invocation of demons, brings a thick fog over the land as a sign, and the people were angry. And Patrick said, Remove the fog. But again the guy wouldn't do it. The holy man, however, prays, he blesses the place, and the fog's dispelled at once, the sun shines again, and the people cheered and gave thanks. After that, Patrick, I mean, he had like magical duels. Yeah, he's on easy street after that. Right, (laughs) right. That's a heck of a duel. That's like a wizard duel. Right. And and it's funny because those are like the the nice duels. There's also duels where like, um, like... Seeing that the impious heathen were about to attack him, because Patrick's going to get killed by a bunch of uh, pagans, he gets up and says, May God come forward to scatter his enemies, and may those who hate him flee from his face. And what happens is, uh, like all the guys chasing him, 49 guys die at the moment. (laughs) They just die. (laughs) And then the king, like, bends his knee and is like, All right, Patrick. You're my guy. And so he, he has like magical battles with druids. These guys yeah. have incantations. They call upon demons. They call upon their heathen gods or whatever. And Patrick beats them every time. And so I think that's one of the cool things about St. Patrick is that we just thought like, oh, yeah, Shamrock. That's a, I guess that's a really good symbol or whatever. Not that he was having magical tools, Harry Potter style, and he was putting them down. Right. Yeah, it's a lot more exciting when you hear that type of story of the like... It's like a Merlin versus Gandalf thing going on. Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Let's see what you got. It's exactly <laughs> what kind of things. And then there's also some weird stuff about St. Patrick, too. Like, he says his, like, um, his other bishops in the area would try to put him on trial. And he writes this in his confession. He goes, One time I was put to the test by some superiors of mine. They came and put my sins against my hard work as a bishop. This hit me very hard, so much so that it seemed I was about to fall, both here and in eternity. So it was bad enough that he's going to go to hell. But the Lord in his kindness spared the converts and the strangers for the sake of his name, and strongly supported me when I was so badly treated. They brought up against me after thirty years something I'd already confessed before I was a deacon. What happened was that one day, when I was feeling anxious and low, with a very dear friend of mine, I referred to some things I had done one day, rather, one hour, when I was young, before I overcame my weakness. I don't know. God knows. Whether I was then 15 years old at the time, and I didn't believe in the living God, not even when I was a child. So, what did he do? That they had to bring it up in court or whatever for one hour when he was 15 years old? I've got an idea. (laughs) Of course you do. I just mean, like... Is that really a thing? You're going to take it like a guy that had done all these great deeds or whatever? He must have done something that really upset people to do that. But that's yeah, just... Yeah, but so- back then it didn't take much to upset people. That's true. It could be a political thing, too. They killed right. Socrates, for Christ's right. sake. Yeah. Um, but those are just little things. Like, he just had a lot of drama. And there's even this like crazy thing uh, in this like ninth century biography of Patrick that called the Tripartite Life of St. Patrick. And in the translation, it talks about him having a, like an argument with an angel. Like he goes somewhere, he has to pray for 40 days or whatever, somewhere because he's going through a tough time. And he's an argument with an angel. And you know, the argument is about like, he says that he has to redeem more souls from hell than any other saint. Like it's his job to like bring people out of the lake of fire. Yeah. Um, and it's also his job that he would get to be the one to judge the Irish sinners at the end of time. Hmm. So it's like, even though that's Jesus's job or whatever to judge sinners, like he's like, I need to judge these sinners at the end of time. And um, this whole thing, the angel's like, no way or whatever. And then he like prays for 40 days and the angel comes back. He's like, okay, we'll let you do the judging. Okay. You know, we'll let you redeem a bunch of souls from hell. And the last thing he says is that I will never let the English rule over Ireland. He calls him the Saxon or whatever, though, mm-hmm. um, because this is before the Norman invasion. So he says the Saxon can never rule over Ireland. And the angel's like, okay. Um, but we know how, how that went. 
like because the English ruled Ireland for like 700 years. So maybe that particular biography didn't have all the kinks worked out. But St. Patrick, an interesting guy, did a lot of cool things. Uh, whether they're true or not, I have no idea. But I'm willing to drink a toast to him because I'd learned a lot about him when we were researching this episode, and he seems like a lot more fun than I thought he was. <laughs> you know, because he seems like a boring priest or whatever, but if, if you knew he was the guy that, like, took on druids and is like, come get some. Right, and he lived part of his life as a slave and, like, yeah. was able to escape that life. That's pretty amazing in and of itself. And if you're a slave for six years and you want to get on a boat and somebody's like, okay, you can get on this boat, but you're going to have to suck my nipple... And St. Patrick's like, uh-uh. Like, that is a, that's a ballsy move. Like, yeah, St. Patrick's like, you know yeah. what? I did that when I was a kid. I don't got to do it anymore. I'm out. And so, uh, may we all be so brave. Right? Yeah, definitely. Aye. <laughs> so, aye. so that's what I learned about St. Patrick's Day, and that was a lot of fun. What'd Anybody you guys that's like, rolled with pirates has some swagger. So, you're doing all right. Yeah, rolled with pirates and lived to tell the tale. Yeah. You know, right. like... That's impressive. Also, though, next time I get a like a corporate job or whatever, when I have underlings, <laughs> no, you're gonna make. Up <laughs> no, Mike. Do you know how? Do you know how we show loyalty here? Yeah, I, I can see the HR paperwork right. now. I'm just yeah. gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> right? Fair enough. <sighs> Fair enough. But the thing is, I mean, St. Patrick's a lot of fun, but I I don't want to say the Irish are a superstitious folk, but there's certainly plenty of legends to go around. Yeah. And it's really interesting how the legends, once the Christianity entered that country, uh, the impact that it had on their deep-seated legends, it didn't wipe them out, but it Mm -mm. definitely altered them as things proceeded, as people's belief systems kind of um, melded and, you know, evolved through that. I feel like it's kind of voodoo-ish. You know, the way we Mm -hmm. talk about voodoo is you have, I mean, they're Catholic, but yet the saints kind of operate in these different places where the animistic gods of West Africa operated, or almost how now, if you would ask any kind of Mexican about, or they're Catholic, of course we're Catholic, but we're going to leave uh, something for Santa Muerta, you know, and and that becomes, um, in you know, it it becomes part of the faith. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the Irish are interesting because they certainly exhibit that, you know, 14 or 13 centuries before voodoo or, you know, 15 centuries before Santa Muerte. Yeah. So with respect to the Irish culture and the Irish, you know, legends and things, I'm going to be referring to this amazing book. It's called Ancient Legends, Mystic Charms and Superstitions of Ireland. And Mm -hmm. it was written by Lady Wilde, who actually was, yeah, she was Oscar Wilde's mom. And that's awesome. Yeah. I didn't even know that. I've been <laughs> reading this for like months now and I didn't make the connection. Yeah, I'm slow. But anyway. Uh, who would have thought uh, that, though? You know, <laughs> that, that he wasn't the first author in the family, you know? Right. And it's just funny because so this family, her husband actually was researching, was really deeply interested in the legends of Ireland. And so he had been doing a bunch of research, but he died before he had a chance to publish it. So she took his research up and put it into this like compendium of all these different and, you know, these are all things that have been passed down folklore. It's it's stories that people tell and share and it's just word of mouth. So they aren't very well chronicled until sure. this point. So um, Lady Wild. So I'm, I'm going to reference, you know, as we continue our conversation here, because it mm-hmm. touches on like every possible kind of odd paranormal <laughs> all right, myth, legend, superstition. It's really cool. But first and foremost, I have to say that I was sort of delighted to find out that uh, apparently Oscar Wilde, while he, so sadly, his mother, the Lady Wilde, passed away while he was in prison. He had done a couple of years in prison because he was accused of uh, indecency. Mm-hmm. Right. And, Just watch the movie with Stephen Fry and you'll get the whole thing. Oh, right. Yeah. And Oscar Wilde is the writer of one of the creepiest tales ever told, the the picture of Dorian Gray. So if you haven't read that yet, I recommend checking it out. It's And one of the most charming plays, The Importance of Being Earnest. That's right. So like, it really, and that you can even read that today and you can have a good time as a modern reader, I think. Yeah. Maybe not if you're a jaded bastard, but I like that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, anyway, so he, his mom passed away while he was in prison and 
there is a story that actually he saw her, her, an apparition of her at the time of her passing while he was in prison. A crisis apparition. Yeah, they call it a fetch, actually. And it's kind of like, um, they define it as an exact spectral double of a living human whose appearance is regarded as ominous. So it probably was maybe just before she passed away. Sounds like a sure. doppelganger. Basically, yeah, it is like a doppelganger. Exactly. And so um, I just thought that was an interesting little paranormal connection with the Wild family that, you know, as the poor guy was in jail and his mom died and he saw her appear before him while he was in jail. So, but the Lady Wild documented all this folklore and things like that. And the book, I like I said, if you're into this stuff, I definitely, it'll give you enough reading to get you through like until next St. Patty's Day. <laughs> but it starts off with a preface discussing the whole concept of how the Irish embraced Christianity and like incorporated into it a lot of their tales. So they would still have like their magic fields and trees and stuff, but they would add to them like a saint or, you know, some saintly deed or things like that. So sure. It's a real interesting how everything melds together with that. That's great. I, and I'll let you get back to that. But I was going to bring up this concept because you look, if you're looking at haunted places in America, as I've spent a lot of my life doing, <laughs> it's, you know, pretty standard fare. There's, you know, there's a woman in white, there's a ghostly apparition of this, there's poltergeist activity, there's these kind of, you know, you could go down a checklist and just check the necessary boxes for each location. But you start looking at uh, Irish uh, myths and folklore and haunted sites and you have stuff like the banshee and of course fairies and all these things that are so spectacular and mike as you were talking about how the place feels magical even the folklore and and traditions and current present day beliefs because people do believe that you can still see leprechauns and fairies are are these other entities that you're sharing the the landscape with right and you can't disturb their areas like there's roads that go specifically around absolutely uh, it's just so I, that's why I love doing this cross-cultural learning about other belief systems, because this is just stuff we don't have. Like, we don't have anything to compare it with. So where in the world is this coming from? And I was wondering, does it go back to Wiccan things? But I guess it's the, the culmination of all of this happening together. Exactly. Yeah, it's this combination of everything. And I mean, so I guess we can just dive right into it. You brought up something, Scott, that's very popular Irish character, which is the Banshee. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know I've dated her, <laughs> <laughs> which is basically did, kind of kind did, of an. Did you make her wail, Mike? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she made me wail. Is kind of an omen of something bad to come, and so I'm going to read you a little quote here from this book, just to give you a little sort of a definition of the banshee. Okay, so the banshee means especially the woman of the fairy race from Van, the woman, the beautiful. The same word from which comes Venus. Shilovan was one of the names of Buddha, the son of the woman. And some writers think that in the Irish, Sullivan may be found in this ancient name of Buddha. So the, the Irish name Sullivan. As the Lenin she was the acknowledged spirit of life, giving inspiration to the poet and the musician. So the Banshee was the spirit of death, the most weird and awful of all the fairy powers. But only certain families of historic lineage or persons gifted with music and song are attended by the spirit. For music and poetry are fairy gifts, and the possessors of them show kinship to the spirit race. Therefore, they are watched over by the spirit of life, which is prophecy and inspiration, and by the spirit of doom, which is the revealer of the secrets of death. Sometimes the banshee assumes the form of some sweet singing virgin of the family who died young and has been given the mission by the invisible powers to become the harbinger of coming doom to her mortal kindred. Or she may be seen at night as a shrouded woman, crouched beneath the trees, lamenting with veiled face, or flying past in the moonlight, crying bitterly. And the cry of the spirit is mournful beyond all other sounds on earth and betokens certain death to some member of the family whenever it is heard in the silence of night. Well, that's all the more reason to die a virgin, right? (laughs) So I just think that's really... First of all, you know, people who basically it's accusing musicians <laughs> of being, yeah. you know, in the, the, the spirit, the fairy race, as they say. Uh, so maybe maybe we're cursed, Mike, as musicians. I don't know. Well, actually, there's an excellent book written by a guy who lives near Madison. And if I can remember the name of it, um, has these like fairy musicians 
as the heroes of it. Mm. And the Tufa novels, it's a guy named Alex Bledsoe, and he's from the South, and but he lives in the Wisconsin area now. Oh, okay. But uh, he writes these books about the Tufa, which are these um, musical fairies who live in the Smoky Mountains. <laughs> but cool. they're all like Irish derived. Okay. And I've only read the first book, The Hum and the Shiver. And it's it's really interesting. Mm. But the fairies are always very musical. Okay. It's interesting. When I was doing my research, I, I found that some of the older stories, they that, that, that scream, the banshee wail that we, we hear... It, Nowadays, we hear about it like if you hear it, that means you're cursed, almost like you saw your doppelganger. That, oh, if you heard this, then you're marked or you're at least told you're going to be dead next. (laughs) But some of those older stories involved someone within a family passing away, but then the family members heard the scream, and that was almost like a message, almost like the, uh, the, the Pony Express came to let them know that somebody in your family died. Oh. So it wasn't the death actually happened and the Banshee oh. kind of informed the family. Uh, and, and then over time, it's become this. So it, and it makes me think of the uh, the Mothman, too. Oh, gosh. It, yeah. it, in the sense of people saw the Mothman and then the bridge collapse happened and people are saying, oh, a lot of people make that connection that, oh, Mothman caused this. Like, well, maybe he was just warning or passing word along. Giving you a little heads up. Exactly. Um, yeah. And one of the other things I loved, and they you mentioned it in what you read there, that the Banshees were associated with specific families. You mentioned Sullivan, the research I found, uh, that it was mostly families with Mick or O apostrophe mm. starting the name. And, uh, and in time, most of those families have died off from ancient lineage. And so now there are all of these Banshees still roaming the land that are no longer assigned to a family. So what are they doing now? And maybe they're causing havoc. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> maybe your family needs a Banshee. There you go. <laughs> My family certainly does. Just call 1-800-BANSHEE. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> call 1-800-MICK-BANSHEE. So the Banshee is a very popular Irish character that we hear about all the time, and for good reason, because she's scary. <laughs> well, also, it's this, this idea of the saddest sound in the world. Yeah, that wail. You know, there's a wail, there's a cry, there's something, you know, there's just something about crying that activates like our different empathy zone yeah yeah it, it activates something in your brain because the idea is as social animals were evolved to respond to the sound of crying right um jeff vandermeer uses that in annihilation um if that's the the southern reach trilogy um they made in the movie with uh natalie portman that was actually pretty good not really like the book at all but still a pretty good movie but there's a there's a certain character that has like a banshee like wail that people hear in the night hmm. and uh it just maybe you know when you talked about the saddest sound yeah. that you can ever hear in the world then we think about that and then you know you think about that if you hear a cry like it's like when you hear a, a rabbit being killed by an owl or something sure. like that oh, yeah. it sounds like a child crying and when you hear that you, your natural oh reaction is like oh my god there's a baby dying. right we gotta do some rabbit <laughs> right, right. A wascally web. <laughs> uh, formerly wascally. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. so that that's a sad that's a sad thing and it it activates something in human emotion and empathy. Right. So the banshees, you know, that's a pretty popular, I guess, myth or or maybe not a myth, but a character. Yeah, and sure. belief. And so I'm gonna just right away get this out because we know the fairies, the fae, the mm-hmm. she they're here. Whatever you want to call them. That's another very important Irish legend. And, and as you said, the Banshee is in that family. Yes. That she's considered a fairy herself. Yeah. And actually, it's there's like a really gray line between like ghosts, fairies, you know, oh, whatever okay. you want to call it. It's an interchangeable it. word in some ways. It seems like it. Yeah. It seems like just from the stuff that I've read. But but the fairy race, uh, they refer to them as the she, which it, and it's spelled S-I-D-H-E. But the she or spirit race, called also the fae or fairies, are supposed to have been once angels in heaven who were cast out by divine command as a punishment for their inordinate pride. Yeah, some fell to earth and dwelt there long before man was created as the first gods of the earth. Others fell into the sea and they built themselves beautiful fairy palaces of crystal and pearl underneath the waves. But on moonlit nights, they often come up on the land riding their white horses, and they hold revels with their fairy kindred on the earth who live in the clefts of the hills 
and they dance together on the greensward under the ancient trees and drink nectar from the cups of the flowers, which is the fairy wine. Other fairies, however, are demonical and given to evil and malicious deeds. For when cast out of heaven, they fell into hell, and there the devil holds them under his rule, and he sends them forth as he wills upon missions of evil to tempt the souls of men downward by the false glitter of sin and pleasure. These spirits dwell under the earth and impart their knowledge only to certain evil persons chosen of the devil, who gives them power to make incantations and brew love potions and to work wicked spells, and they can assume different forms by their knowledge and use certain magical herbs. The witch women who have been taught by them and have thus become tools of the evil one are the terror of the neighborhood, for they have all the power of the fairies and all the malice of the devil, who reveals to them secrets of times and days and secrets of herbs and secrets of evil spells, and by the power of magic, they can affect all their purposes, whether for good or for ill. So, this is complex now. We've got good fairies, we've got bad fairies, Mm. we've got fairies on land, we've got fairies in water. Like, they're everywhere. And there's this whole like, good and evil thing going on between the fairies. So the fairies ba- basically just kind of get turned to the angels in uh, Christian spirituality. Right. Um, so they, they, they get that kind of Semitic Hebrew angels cosmology pushed on to the fairies. So like, it's okay. Like some of them are evil, but that's because they were the ones who were cast out of heaven. Right, exactly. And that's why they do these deeds that are not kind. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but it's interesting because it's similar to the rest of the culture's ideas, whether it's the Siberian spirits or whether it's the uh, the jinn, the jinn of the um, Middle East, mm-hmm. or whether it's the, the angels yeah. and the demons of the Abrahamic religions, or now it's, the, now it's just the fairies of the Celtic religions. So it's all this idea of the, there are spirits out there, and some want to hurt you, and some want to help you, but also communing with them can be a dangerous thing as well. Also, they're always lurking. They're always on the periphery lurking, Probably trying to... right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to get to meddle with humans. And like they're very fascinated by humans. They think humans are great and they want to like capture and steal them and take them away. And so it's kind of another way of scaring your kids basically into, you know, not going into the woods late at night and stuff like that. Sure. They, they use a lot of those those fairy tales as There we go, fairy as, tales. Right, exactly. <laughs> so there's that aspect of it as well. And they're virtually in every story. I mean, it's um, even if it's leprechauns or elves or any of the other ones, they're all some form of fairy. So, so do we know more? Because I don't. Do we know more about what the origin of the leprechaun concept is, other than like hanging out in the ghetto or? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. I um, mean, I basically the way I think about the leprechaun is the leprechaun as serial killer. Yes. As watching the movie Leprechaun. Yeah, exactly. Or hanging out in Alabama up in a tree. Yeah, I I don't know what the actual origin is. <laughs> There is this this little bit here where they say uh, in, in the same the same book, the leprechauns are merry, industrious, tricksy little sprites who do all the shoemakers Gosh, work. I want to be described like that someday. <laughs> we can make that happen. Right. Next time we introduce you, Scott, <laughs> yeah. in the show. So they, they do all the shoemakers work and the tailors and the cobblers for the fairy gentry. So they work for the fairies. Okay. So they're like okay. the little like, you know. The, so they earn like that gold. Gnomes. Yeah. And they're often seen at sunset under the hedge, singing and stitching. They know all the secrets of hidden treasure. And if they take a fancy to a person, we'll guide him to the spot in the fairy wrath where the pot of gold lies buried. But yeah, so leprechauns seem to be like the workhorses for the fairies. They they do. They get the stuff done. They're like the, the Menahune a little bit to me. They, oh, uh, they, interesting. They, they allegedly would come out and, and help. They, they could be disruptive as well, but they also would you know get the job done for some people sometimes. Interesting. And they wore red. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm looking at. The, oh. the Prior to the 20th century, the leprechauns wore red. Different versions. The northern leprechaun wore a military red coat and white <laughs> breeches. Uh, Tipperary wore an antique slashed jacket of red. Carrie wore a fat, pursy little fellow <laughs> whose jolly round face rivals in redness the cutaway jacket he wears. Uh, Monaghan, a swallowtailed evening coat of red with a green vest, white breeches, black stockings. What about Lucky? So, well... Obviously, Lucky wears green, and so does the psychotic leprechaun of the Leprechaun right. movie series. Well, and that gets into this part. 
But the leprechauns can be bitterly malicious if they are offended, and one should be very cautious in dealing with them and always treat them with great civility, or they will take revenge and never reveal the secret of the hidden gold. And so there's a lot of legends that are based around people who catch a leprechaun, but they're unkind to the leprechaun. So they're like, hey, give me your freaking gold, you know, and they shake them and they, these stories are horrible. They beat up the leprechaun and stuff like that. And then inevitably their family (laughs) does not get the gold and usually they suffer some horrible consequence. Now we know if you find a leprechaun, suck on their breast. (laughs) Right. That's the way to do it. (laughs) Come and get some lucky charms. Um, Wow. You know, I didn't know about this little leprechaun traps. Ah. Oh, that um, sounds fun. That some families set out the night before St. Patrick's Day, like kids uh, have cookies for Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's cute. So they make these little crafts called leprechaun traps. Hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and little kids, and because hopefully they can get their three wishes or whatever. But it's funny, the, the leprechauns, three wishes, gold. I mean, the fairies... <sighs> The fairies are good and evil. They can, you know, they can work for you. They can work against you. It's the gin. It's, you know, it's all the same from culture to culture. Like humans have this idea of these spirits. And no matter what you call them, if they're saints or they're fairies or they're anything, you call on them for help when you need it. And you curse them when you have bad luck. Right. Hmm. Right. Exactly. Uh, And you try to trap them to get your, you know, I need my gold. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, Scott, you had something you wanted to talk about, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, um, I'm just, it's it's hard to know where to jump in because there's just so many different things. Seriously, yes. The the beings, too, the cryptids, like the Kelpie. And and I know the puka was something that came up a lot when I was doing my research a long while ago. But I see you got horned witches on uh, possible things. (laughs) I don't know anything about that. Right. Um, so yeah, we're d- wait. What's the puka? Isn't that something from like Mario Kart or whatever? <laughs> uh, the puka shell, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the puka is. Uh, it's a form of a fairy that. It's like a shapeshifter. Okay. And they 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 actually okay. This is the kind of cool thing. Mm-hmm. In a lot of the stories, they come in and they'll like do your chores for you. Like, they come what? in in the middle of the night and they'll do your chores for you and. Come on in, Puga. Yeah. 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 It's, but they can also bring bad fortune. So it just really depends on the situation. Just, just like the leprechauns. The, yeah. It's, you know, the good and evil balance. Right. You know? right. Exactly. But uh, what? so when I was doing my uh, my letter I for Irish Legends last year, I wanted to try to cover a little bit of everything. So, you you know, go, go into some of the folklore, some of the cryptology, uh, cryptozoology, I should say. Um uh, we'll maybe touch on a little bit of UFO stuff because Ireland right now is a hotspot for UFOs, Ooh. which is awesome. Uh, but I want to get like a more traditional, more current ghost story. And the, the place that just take, took the cake for me was the Hellfire Club, which was an organization that ran in uh, across Europe, especially England, but then and then a little bit later into Ireland as well. Um, in the we're talking the 1600s in England, and then by the 1700s it hit Ireland. And it was really like a secret society type of thing. That's uh, where, I, when I was first reading about it, I was thinking about Bohemian Grove, up what is it, in Oregon or Washington, or where all of the really wealthy elite would go to do their whatever the hell, right, dancing around a campfire naked yeah. and so on and so forth. And the idea was that this is a place for the the upper echelon to society, of society to do some uh, debaucherous stuff, and the name sure does fit with that. I, doesn't no it? joke. Yeah, it's the Hellfire Club. It was. It's a. It mean. It comes about during the Enlightenment, right? Like so, the 18th century, and so that's when these guys are specifically trying to thumb Christianity in the sure, eye. Yeah, it feels like. And I think you know, anytime you're doing that, and again, they're leaning into it, like you said, with a name. Uh, then all these urban legends are going to come out around it too, and and then it becomes impossible to separate because we think that they are doing some sort of. They're definitely partying. They're living the Aleister Crowley if it feels good, do it lifestyle. Um, yeah. But but they're also doing some ritualistic type of stuff. Uh, so they're definitely doing that. But then there's stories about people being murdered up there, like human sacrifice, Ooh. cannibalism oh, no. up at this place. Oh, and by the way, let's go talk about the specific location, which is on Mount Pillier Hill in uh, just outside of Dublin. And uh, great place. It's a, Actually, the location is beautiful. It's on the top of the hill, overlooks the city. Uh, and of course, what did they do? They they set up shop right on top of a mass burial site. 
Um, I hate it when that happens. Way to do yeah, it. using some of these uh, old stones from the the Neolithic era, so like essentially old old gravestones as the building material itself. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, it doesn't go well right off the bat. As soon as construction is finished, a huge storm whips up and rips the roof off the place. And right away, the townspeople are saying, well, that's that's the devil coming out and saying, you you done done messed up. Mm -hmm. Um, So they replace that roof with a stone roof. And this it's really amazing. This building that we're talking about, which is on Mount Pillier Hill, it's today it's known as the Hellfire Club. But of course, that was a, a general term back in the day. Um, it was built in the 1700s, mid 1700s, and this building still stands with its roof on to this day. Wow. And it's in a it's in a public park now, so anybody can go. Can you rent it out, like for a wedding I was or something? Say, I want to go have like a sex and drinking club in Dublin. <laughs> oh, I was thinking sweet. more like a see you on the other side, a uh, live hangout, but you know, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah, right. I was going to say that's kind of the idea. Just join our Patreon and you'll learn more about it. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Membership has its benefits. There we go. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, we, we jump to today and uh, the place, there, there is all sorts of paranormal activity associated with the location, including people feeling like they get attachments when they go there and they've br- brought some uh, um, oppressive spirit back with them that will kind of suck their energy out and will scratch them to the point of leaving welts and marks and scratches on their body. Scary. Uh, But the place is apparently patrolled by a large black cat and in place of ears has horns. And one more recent legend is that a priest went up there to try to bless the land because obviously all this bad stuff had happened up there historically. So he, and he ended up coming across this beast. And so he's, He's already armed with holy water, so he splashes holy water on this thing, and the the creature starts to rip itself apart before vanishing. Some pretty wicked stuff. Wow, that's pretty sweet. Really interesting. It's amazing. And uh, yeah, it is definitely a place that's on my bucket list. I definitely want to check it out. Um, and it's really neat. We could we could do that virtually as we're quarantined right now because uh, <laughs> right. Google Street View actually did a walk around oh, no the way. building itself. So you could see it really up close and personal if you uh, use Google Maps even. Well, I mean, and it's the, it is the perfect location for a party, really, because then everybody gets to take home a party favor, which is an attachment. There you go. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's the that's the name of the first episode of the fourth season of Stranger oh, Things too. Really? We the Hellfire Club. Yes, I did yeah. see that. Uh, that's exciting to me. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> we'll see what happens. They're currently Stranger Things is currently on hiatus. Yeah. Because of the um anyway, because they're worried that like <laughs> Elle's gonna get uh if Elle gets the coronavirus and dies, the whole show's Aww. over. No. <laughs> when after last season everybody's like, Well someone please give Hopper the coronavirus. No. <laughs> um after they ruined his character, but that's a different discussion. Um, so, also, but the Hellfire Club's also in a, a bunch of comic books, isn't it? Yeah, like uh, it's in Sandman. Is, Neil Gaiman talks about it. Oh, wow! But yeah, I mean, if you go to the just even the the reference portion of the Wikipedia page, there's a long list of references where uh, the Hellfire Club is mentioned. And there was a band called the Electric Hellfire Club. <laughs> that's right, which is like an industrial band. And they were like bands like My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. And they're actually from Kenosha. Uh-huh. And we knew the singer of the Electrical Hellfire Club. Kenosha. Uh, Thomas Thorne, because he used to work at a porn shop in Madison. <laughs> we we uh, knew him. That, that's how we knew him. <laughs> no, you. I thought you knew Thomas. Okay. Anyway. I might have I've run into him like, once at the Inferno or something. I've been to a couple of shows with I him. I wasn't like his like buddy. I went, I went to go see a band called the Jenna Torturers uh, <laughs> I just, with him. I just had to call out because you're, you're like we knew him because he worked at a porn exactly shop exactly because yeah like <laughs> well that's i mean that's if a lot of people in madison we, saw him i only knew him through the uh the musical thing right right but they ended up touring with bands like typo negative and stuff like that so they did pretty yeah. well and they you know um but anyway they really leaned into the whole satan thing but um their music was you know just industrial metal like pop kind of stuff it was a lot of fun and uh but they took that idea of the hellfire club as a place where you do anti-christian things which is that that's the whole and like alistair crowley the whole idea of we are going to not worry about the next world and indulge ourselves in the pleasures of this one Mm -hmm. is the main difference between that kind of magic and uh 
believing in, you know, worrying about your immortal soul mm -hmm. or saying like, hey, screw my soul. Like, I want to feel good right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to suck on that captain's breasts. <laughs> Maybe that's the name of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but that kind of thing. I think what we're realizing is there's just so much. There's so it's like almost an endless, endless pool. But I do recommend that book by the Lady Wild. Uh, if you have any interest in these Irish myths, legends, superstitions, there's some crazy superstitions we didn't get into. But I mean, I'm just really quickly, I have to tell you that if you take a dead person's hand uh, and use it to churn butter, it will be more successful. <laughs> if the milk is stirred round nine times with the dead hand, the operator crying aloud all the time, gather, gather, gather. Uh, it's a, it's a, a spell. So there's like, um, yeah, you can use that too. I'd love to see the notes on the product yeah. testing. Like, <laughs> I was gonna say, I, at what point did they I'd get rather to the hand? just not eat that yeah, butter? Like, I know, I'd just be like, you know what? I'm gonna have this bread plain. Very unsanitary. <laughs> and there's all kinds of things about taking like a recently deceased person's skin and using that to cast a spell and putting it on like the person that you want to fall in love with you while they're sleeping. And things like that. It's just, yeah, it's... <laughs> I would do that. <laughs> I mean, I guess you know desperation, like, you know, like there's no... Also, that person's not going to miss it, right. right? There you go. Like, what are they going to do with that but skin? But still, you got to go get it. Like, that can't be a pretty scene. Yeah, that's... Anyway. Right, that's going to be There's hard. tons and tons of these things. It's, it's really interesting to read. It's kind of creepy. It's... There's everything from the creepy to the fantastic. And happy St. Patrick's Day. If any Day. of you have yeah. a love story... If any of you have a beautiful love story that started with you cutting off a dead person's skin and placing it on your lover, uh, yeah, please contact us for a full interview right. because I want to talk to you for there hours. We, we were planning for the Valentine's Day episode already. Right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. 2021. Yes. If we make it to 2021. Oh, right? Yeah. I think... We'll okay. um, what do people say that... Uh, I saw some meme yesterday. It was like what I expected about the what I expected about the end of the world was a lot more zombies and anarchy and much less like lack of toilet paper <laughs> and Netflix. <laughs> yeah. That's that's good. So that's where so wherever you guys are, uh St. Patrick's Day, have a very happy yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Today you are Irish. We're all Irish today. And don't so you have to wear green um, so you don't get pinched by rude people. <laughs> right. <laughs> Make sure you wear green so you don't get pitched by whoever lives yeah. in your house. <laughs> whoever you're not social distancing from, shame on you. Right. So, uh, to you guys uh, under a very difficult uh, St. Patrick's Day, here's a slancha to you. All right. Well, we want to thank our special guest today, Scott Marcus. It's always so much fun talking with you guys. Yes, it was great having you here. And where can people find you if they want to find some more of your the history and legends and uh, ghost lore that you have researched? Yeah, sure. What's your ghost story .com is the place. And uh, it's also pretty much the handle across all social media. Slancha to you. And to you. Slancha. Given the topic of today's episode and that we're releasing it on St. Patrick's Day, it seemed like the perfect opportunity to delve a little into some traditional Irish music. So we came up with a few jigs inspired by this discussion. Here's an original Sunspot set of tunes, and they're called Druid's Duel, Lady Wild's Fetch, and The Fairy Wrath.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. And a big toast to our Patreon community, the coolest people on St. Patrick's on the Day Emerald and every Isle. other day. That's right. <laughs> Slancha. That's right. I hope the leprechauns find gold for yeah. you. And you know what? This whole like sequestering stuff is perfect for Mike. What's that? It's perfect for holding an online hangout with people that are your friends from all over the place. That sounds good. The kind of hangout that we have at See You on the Other Side and Sunspot Camp. That's right. And we're going to be having one very soon. So please, Patreon members, keep an eye out on the Facebook group and on the Patreon uh, emails. We'll let you know when that is. But we should all have plenty of time on our hands now, right? I was going to say, you're not going to bars, restaurants, or live music shows, so probably you have plenty of time to hang out with us somewhere between March 23rd and March 27th. We would love to hang out with you. Yeah. And if you're not already a member of our community, you can become one very easily. Oh, man. All you got to do is go to othersidepodcast.com slash donate, or if donate feels like too much of a weird thing, just go to patreon.com slash sunspotmusic. There you go. Right, because you'll get all the See You on the Other Side and Sunspot bonus content that way. And we want to thank an extra special, huge Irish thank you to our Patreon member, Ned. Dr. Right. Ned. Dr. Ned. Anyway, Ned, we love you, brother. <laughs> and all of the support that you have and all of our Patreons yes. have provided us keeps us going every single week. Thank you so, so if much. If you guys want to be as cool as Dr. Ned, then make sure to check out uh, patreon.com slash sunspot music so that you can join the army and fight the good fight with us every single week as we put on new paranormal stuff, music, and videos for your viewing, listening, and digesting pleasure. Have a great and safe and healthy week. Just call 1-800-BANSHEE.